Today, we're talking about parenting. And um, before half of you tune us out, because I'm looking and see a lot of people that aren't natural parents, let me just tell you, please stay engaged because of this reason. First of all, uh, most of you that are young, you will end up being parents, whether that's through physical birth or adoption. But here is a very important scripture in 1 Timothy. This is Paul, a guy that never gets married and never has physical children. But listen to what he says. He says to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is our, our, our thesis this morning is this, is as followers of Jesus, we're all called to be parents. We're all called, if you don't ever have natural children, to be a spiritual parent. The, Paul goes on to say, hey, many of you have teachers, but there are not many fathers. And the people of God desperately need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. So no matter what age you are, there's always someone younger that needs for you to spiritually parent them. Second of all, listen in this message because you're just going to hear the heart of God over and over and over again because I don't know what your parents were like, but can I tell you when you step into the family of God, we all have the perfect parent and his name is Father God. So we're going to start today, uh, first of all, just by taking you a little into our parenting journey. Let me show you probably my favorite parenting picture from our life and uh, here is me with our firstborn, Hallie. This was when she was a flower girl at her very first wedding. And she's coming down the aisle. I was actually performing the wedding. She freaks out, starts crying, turns around, never makes it down the aisle. And I didn't care because I was so enraptured with this little girl. And this is us doing our first father-daughter dance ever. Steph? All right, my, one of my favorites is this next one. Jamark is jumping into the hands of Robert. Yeah. And it, it, first of all, he looks so cute, but second of all, his eyes are closed and he's just going for it. And I just feel like that is so how we are called to be as children of, of the King of Kings. We're just supposed to jump into the arms of the Father and trust that he's going to catch us. So I never I noticed it. I had a bald spot. So. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> that you had to realize in front of everyone. Okay, next pick. Um, here is, I love this picture because this is just my current season, a lot of football. Uh, my third one just jumped on the football train, and he's also in football. This particular picture was last year, last fall. Um, we called this the Brother Bowl because brother went against brother. And I was going to, I said, we won't say who won and lost, but Robert told everyone in the last service. So, little brother won. But they've Don't got one more this chance year. this year, so we'll see. Uh, these are a couple pictures of our family, and uh, this is us this summer. This is the tribe now, and we're in Guanajuato on a mission trip where we'll be planting our next All People's Church. So that's, that's us now, and, and so here's how I want to start. We want to start with the end in mind. You always want to begin with the end in mind, and so my question for you is, is what's your goal in parenting? What do you believe is the goal in parenting? Steph and I are always around other parents, whether we're on the sidelines, whether we're at a school meeting, whether we're at a, a, a gathering with friends, and it's always amazing to me to hear parents talk. Uh, one of the main things I hear is, oh, my kids are great. They're straight-A students, and, and I'm always like, is that, is that the goal? 
Or you'll hear them say, you know, my, I'm just hoping that my children behave and don't, don't get in trouble. Actually, I hear some parents say, I'm just praying that my kids survive to 18. Um, here, here's what I often hear. Seriously, they, they say, uh, we're just trying to raise our kids to be independent, contributing members of society. And although I think that's great, I think there's a much higher goal. I, I, we're always with people on the athletic field, and they're always talking about trying to get their kids to be the very top athlete or to, to get this amazing scholarship. Here's what we want to say is what we believe is the biblical theme of parenting and, and what we've tried to adopt in our own lives. All right, so here's our greatest goal is um, to raise passionate followers of Jesus um, who fulfill their God-given purpose. And if we, maybe you've never even thought about a goal in parenting, and it's just always good to have a goal so you keep the end in mind. And if you have a goal, then you got to be intentional to do things uh, to support the goal. We want our kids to stand before the throne when their life is over. And to Jesus, for him to say to them, you really loved me, and you did what I put you on earth for. There's no, there's no greater goal. So let's start, because today our, our sermon's titled, Four Practices of Intentionally Parenting, or four, four Practices of Intentionality to Fulfill That Goal. First practice, you guys ready? You ready? Okay, first practice is this. It's giving unconditional love. That's the first practice, and that's what we see as most important. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. The greatest revelation of God is that he is love. The scripture in 1 John 3 says, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. And there's nothing we want to do more as parents than to reflect God's love for our children. There's nothing we want to do more. I, through years of working with young people, Steph and I have been in ministry 25 years. Most of it has been spent with young people. We were college pastors over a really large college group for years. Even now, we're high school pastors. And it's always sad to me how many Christian kids say, you know, I never felt loved by my parents, or my parents never told me they loved me. A lot of times they say they were great providers, but they didn't cherish me, or they complimented me when I got straight A's or, or when I kicked the goal, but they didn't just adore me for who I was. And we want that to change in this church, amen? And so let's look for a second at, at my favorite parable that Jesus ever taught, and let's look at it through the parenting lens, and that is in Luke 15. This is what many people call the parable of the prodigal son. I want to call it the parable of the unconditional father. So listen to this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So the, the, the younger son, he's being a jerk. <clears throat> so the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and there he began to be in need. So he went out, hired himself out to the citizen of the country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can you read while I take a sip of water? After no one gave him anything. <laughs> you weren't paying attention to my sermon. I flipped to the wrong page. Hold on. Yeah, wow. After, could you just point? When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of the father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Listen to this, guys. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, hopefully, you're getting the father's heart for you because we're all the kids in this story. But this is a great model for how we want to be as parents. Guys, our kids are going to blow it. First thing, Steph, and I want to say today is like, we need grace in parenting. And some of you, you heard we're going to talk about parenting, and you're thinking, oh, no, another day where I'm going to feel like a loser, right? And I just want to say, just brush that right off, because it's all about grace. And God forgives you. You probably didn't have perfect parents. <laughs> Actually, I know you didn't. We didn't have perfect parents, and our parents were awesome. And let's just say it, we're not perfect parents. We're not coming as experts. We're in the journey with you. We got four teenagers. We're still in the midst of it. Our kids are not perfect kids. But let me just tell you this. What you see is Jesus is painting a picture of a father who the son comes up, basically spits in his face and says, I want my inheritance now. I'd rather you be dead, dad. And what does the father do? He goes, here. Can I just tell you, we're called to be unconditional to love even when our kids don't deserve it. Uh, And and let me tell you some great news. Uh, God actually puts a a love for your kids in you right when they're born, right? Like the second the kid comes out of the womb and people are like, oh, the beauty of childbirth. It is not beautiful. It is gross. It's like alien movie, right? They're slimy. They're cone-headed, right? It's bloody, Right? I, I'm, I was always trying not to vomit. And so... Um, he did a couple times. It's okay, though. <clears throat> Thank you. And uh, our, our fourth one was being, was being born. And um, I love how the scripture says, the father saw him, and he was filled with compassion. This dirty, messed up, sinful kid. It says his father saw him and was filled with compassion. I remember when John Mark was being birthed, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. The pain I felt in my heart, I had never felt greater pain than in that moment. He's born, and you never want to hear this. The the doctors and the nurses start yelling, breathe, baby, breathe, because he's not breathing. He's blue, and we are, I, I am freaking out. I am praying with everything in me. By God's grace, they finally hit him on the back enough. You hear him start crying. But then they immediately say, we've got to whisk him away to the NICU. I mean, it is trauma. They can't take Steph because she's in recovery. And so I am chasing after that gurney as they're putting it into the NICU. And he gets there, and and he's just been born. And the love I'm feeling, I won't leave aside. I'm just saying, I am here with you. I love you, son. He's been born for like two minutes. I put my big hand on his chest. I'm like, daddy's here. He's not going to leave you. I start singing over him. Here's what I'm singing. How I love you, child, I love you. How I love you, child, I love you. The nurses come up and say, you got to leave, sir. It's the changing of the shift. I'm like, I am not leaving. 
Well, they always win. So I had to leave. <clears throat> but as I'm leaving, I look, and we're on the first floor, and there's an atrium right outside. And I'm like, I will get to that atrium. So I do Mission Impossible, like passing guards and stuff. I go out a secret door, and my, my son's now by himself, and I slam myself up against the window, overlooking his bed. I'm like, I'm here. I'm, just, I'm yelling, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, it, Nemo had just come out. I was just like Marlon and Nemo. When Nemo gets crushed, she's like, Nemo! <clears throat> that is me in that, in that moment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that unconditional love is put in you. But then the rest of your kid's life, the enemy is trying to steal it away. And I wanted to say, ask the Holy Spirit to put that unconditional love. And then I love how the father expresses it. You know, if I would have been that father and my son had gone off and sinned, I would have been sitting in my study, and let's say little Johnny comes back to the house, I would have let my older son go and answer the door and say, it's good to see you. You know, and I would be in my, I have a study and I have a big leather chair, I would just sit in my study just waiting, you know, and, and let my son knock, 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 he knocks, and I'm like, Amen. And he comes in, shaking and trembling, and I'd be like, it's good to see you, my son. And then I would have said, what have you learned? And I'd let him share his story. Oh, Dad, I messed up. And I'd be like, anything else? <clears throat> right? Will you ever do this? No, I won't do it. That's not how Jesus paints the Father, and it's not how we're supposed to be. What does it say? It says he was looking. He was waiting. He was watching. He sees his son. He runs to him, and then listen to this. Please listen to this. What does it say he does? He throws his arms around him and kisses him. Never stop giving holy physical affection to your kids. My boys, you've seen them. They're often big, sweaty like, they're football players at night. Last night, two of them were talking. One was talking to his football team on the phone. Another was talking to his girlfriend. I walk in. I'm like, I love you. I love you. I'm like, holy, I kiss my son still. Can I just tell you, I'm almost, I'm 47. My dad still gives me a kiss on the forehead. I want that as long as he's alive. Parents, give that. Here, there's five ways that we express love. Write these down. Five ways that we express love. It's in Gary Chapman's book, The Five Languages of Love. You see them all in this story. Jesus is the author of this. Time. The father spends time celebrating the son. He gives him a party. Did you see that? Touch. Okay, so we, we give touch. You never stop giving. You never stop hugging. Never stop. And spiritual parents. And, 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 and do this in a holy and wise way, but Man, people need a handshake. They need a hug, and a hug, a pat on the back. <coughs> Time, touch, gifts. Okay, you don't need to give your kids a Maserati. Actually, please don't. But a T-shirt, just a little something to say. I was thinking about you, a little necklace, a, 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 a ball that just, it means the world. Acts of service. Right now, I'm not talking about being helicopter parents, okay? But, but doing things where your kids are like, oh, they're thinking about me. Please don't write their papers for them. But acts of service help, help them. And uh, what's the last word? Words of affirmation. Man, what, you, they daily need to hear you love them. They daily need to hear I'm proud of you, whether they have a great day or a bad day. Steph, let's go to the next one. All right. Our, again, broad strokes here. So our second practice that we believe is um, important for supporting our end goal, passionate followers of Jesus who fulfill their God-given destiny or purpose um, is modeling transformation in our own lives as parents. 
If we are, if we want to be intentional as parents, it's important to realize that our kids' transformation starts with our own, and we really pave a way for that in our kids' lives, and we know how to better sit with them and help them when we've been willing to be transformed as well in our own lives. And that doesn't stop. Our transformation journey doesn't stop. So uh, scripture, there's a scripture in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, <clears throat> I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I believe that there's two ways that we're going as humans. We are either conforming to the pattern of this world or we are allowing God to transform us. We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can test and approve what God's will is for our lives. It's the end, if the end goal is to fulfill the purpose, then we've got to go through transformation over and over to even understand what God's will is for our lives. And so as parents, we, can't, we don't want to just jump in the journey and uh, deal with our kids. And every parent hits these challenges and these hardship uh, seasons with, with their kids and um, you know, we want to remember as parents, oh, have I been willing in, in the seasons of hardship to allow God's transformation to come forth? Because then we can better help them. When every time I get on an airplane, I think I've mentioned this practice before, but every time I get on an airplane, they talk about the emergency procedures. And they explain that if you're up in the air and a crisis happens, we all know what's going to fall from the airplane ceiling. It's an oxygen mask. And the oxygen mask is actually... Um, supposed to go on the parent first. They say, parents, put the oxygen mask first on you, and then you can better help your child. I think it's the same concept for us in our journey with um, and our friendship with Jesus. You know, sometimes our, as parents, we can hide behind our kids' issues and get frustrated at their behavior. And meanwhile, maybe God's, you know, trying to tap on our shoulder with a, a loving hand and just drawing us into actually a place of transformation as as well. You know, our behaviors um, as parents always point to something deeper that's going on in our soul as humans, our kids and us as, as humans. Um, our behaviors are so helpful because they point to something deeper, a mindset that we're carrying that, that maybe is not in line with a kingdom um, mindset, or maybe it points to a place of pain in our soul that hasn't been healed yet, and so our behaviors are an outworking um, of that pain, and actually then in turn are hurting other people. Or maybe those behaviors um, are are stem from a lie that that we're carrying around and living from. You know, I've hit in my kids, um, and obviously we all continue to hit these seasons, but. I was surprised even in their little years when with all of them, I hit this place where there, were, there was a lie that my, 
my child was believing and therefore their behavior is kind of that whole behavior modification doesn't work, right? Because it's, it always points to something deeper. And if the deeper thing doesn't get healed or restored or transformed, then the behavior is not going to change no matter what we do to band-aid the behavior or correct the behavior. And as parents, we want to be curious to actually what's going on behind the behavior. And I'm not talking about like at zero and one and two years old. I'm talking a little further in, but as, um, as parents, we want to be curious and we also want to model that in our own lives. You know, if you are struggling with continual anger at your, your child when they don't do what you say um, that you're needing them to do and you just get angry and it increases it, and there's probably some deeper thing going on in your soul that you want to bring to the Lord and ask him about what needs to be healed. Is there a place of control that you feel out of control, so you're trying to control, or just what, ask the Lord. And we walk with each other in this journey, right? That's why we're into discipleship and small group in this church. We want to do this in community. We need each other in the process. We have journey to freedom, small group. We have things set up so that we as the people of God can see transformation in our own lives. And um, and then, you know, maybe as a parent, I, I just want to say, your kids will say things to hurt your feelings. And maybe at times your child said something and you felt rejected and you want to just push them away and reject them. And I just want to encourage you, if that's the case and you're actually, you've been rejecting maybe even your spouse or your kids, then that's a behavior that you actually want to become aware of and realize, oh, where in my own life have I really experienced rejection and not let God deal with that place of pain so that then I can accept the spirit of acceptance, the spirit of adoption on my life so I can better help my children feel my love, but ultimately the love of the Father. Um, So that I'm going to segue into our third practice that we believe is so key in raising passionate followers of Jesus who fulfill their God-given Purpose. This third practice is training in the ways of God. When I had Hallie, um, we were in the hospital, and I was just really liking being taken care of by the nurses. I was like, this is awesome. And the nurse came in, and she said, your daughter needs a diaper change. And I'm like, great. Go for it, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> she looked at me, and she was like, you're the mom. And I'm like, oh, Right. I'm the mom. This is my job. Ah! And we just, it's like sobriety of, oh, right. This is our job as parents, to train and equip our kids in the ways of God, in training them to love Jesus. And so there is a scripture in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 I want to share. It's so important. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is a lot of what we do as parents. It's not always a party. It's not easy. And so I just want to encourage us, man, if you are spending a lot of time teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, you are on the right path as a parent. Um, Okay, so here's a a few practicals that we would train our kids in in the early years, and it's obviously continued through the older years, but we would train them to spend time with Jesus, okay? That was just a practice in our house every morning when they were 
one years old, that looked like them sitting on a bouncy seat um, looking at the TV. I know people don't really use TVs much anymore, but we did have TVs um, when they were little. And I would put on a Jesus video, like a 30-minute little Bible uh, story about cartoon about Jesus, and they just bounce, and that was their Jesus time. Um, and so that I could also spend time with Jesus. Um, and we, and then that transitioned, obviously, in seasons where then we were sitting down with a kid's Bible with them, reading a story, teaching them how to pray, how to thank God for things, and um, how, to, how to ask the Lord, the Lord's Prayer, things that they need for, pray for other people. And then we teach our kids how to hear God, how to hear the Holy Spirit. That was very important to us, because ultimately we're training our kids um, to obey the God-given pers- purpose, not our purpose. We could come up with some great things that our kids could do, but ultimately they were actually created with a purpose inside of them. And so we want to draw that out over the years. And so um, ultimately we want to train them to hear God so they can hear um, where where God is directing them as followers of Jesus. We would um, we teach our kids to memorize scripture. My kids had to memorize Proverbs 3. We do it on the way to school. We do it as we're sitting, you know, just in the midst of life, I'd say, tell me how much, where are you at? How much you know of Proverbs 3? Um, because we believe that it was in those 6 to 12 years that they really needed to start hiding Scripture in their hearts. Um, so th- this uh, one, one thing on the issue of training that I want to hone in on for a second is, as parents, we get this amazing privilege to actually train our kids in perseverance. In um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, let us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So many times we think that we have to be perfect to run this race with Jesus, but actually what you need is perseverance to keep going. That is what you need more than anything. And so as parents, we want to teach our kids what it looks like to persevere through hardships. A lot of times there's a scripture that says endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as sons and daughters. So many times in our life we skirt discipline or we skirt our our seasons of hardship and we don't want to see them as discipline. But I'm telling you that in those seasons is when God marks you as a son and daughter more than any other time. And he gives you a new name. And so we want to teach our kids how to hear the Holy Spirit in those seasons of hardship. When I was young, um, I was really struggling with biology class. And I, my grade was tanking. And my dad uh, recognized that. And so he said, hey, I'm going to take you down to, we lived right by Lake Michigan, but take you down to Lake Michigan, and we're going to study biology together. Fun. <laughs> Not that I really wanted to. I'm like, okay, Dad. Um, and actually, it, it became this beautiful memory in my life where actually my dad understood he needed to teach me perseverance. And so we'd sit there for hours going over my biology cards, the different species and classes of all the animals and all the things. And he did it in a beautiful site by the lake where we're outside enjoying being together. And then he was just training me in how to memorize, how to press through. He would encourage me 
that I could do this, I could get through this and come out the other side. And those, and then when my when COVID hit, for my own kids, they all had to go online and it was awful, especially for our ones that are so highly relational. My one, one of my kids, their grades were tanky because he needs interaction. He, he's super social. And so to not be present with the teacher and other classmates was so challenging. It took away from focus for him. And so I would sit there because what was given to me, I was able to then teach um, in the place of perseverance in a hard season. So I was able to sit. The teacher couldn't see me on online, but um, I would actually listen to his classes so then I could better help and get in his boat as a parent and not just get frustrated. Like, why are, why are you doing awful in school? Like, just get over it and come on. Like, this is not that big of a deal. A lot. No, as parents, we want to empathize and we actually want to get in the boat. And that is so helpful in um, training our kids in, in perseverance. Actually, I want to show this um, brochure. So one of the things a team of us is working on um, is this parent brochure to better help and, and equip you guys as parents. And this isn't totally done yet, so um, it may change by the time it gets in your hands, but our goal is to get it in the next couple months. I have a goal. Um, so actually, can you go to the other page first? So the front, I just want to read this little piece on resilience, but perseverance as well. So resilience can be learned. It's the ability to adapt when tragedy, suffering, hardships, or challenging seasons hit. Giving empathy and helping our children navigate these times builds competence, a sense of humor, depth of character, self-awareness, ability to cope, and, and social connectivity. And parents, it is such a joy. It's hard, but it's such a joy to get to train and be with our kids in those seasons. Okay, you can go to the other. I have two minutes. Okay, this is the inside of the brochure. And I just want to highlight, too, in so much of this is training and there's so much transition, not only for them, but also for us as parents. And so to even recognize, not only do they change so much, but you need to change so much to better help and train and equip them. So many times in these zero to five years, um, teaching them no is so important and teaching them to come to you and really honing in. In the next, we go from shepherd in that beginning. We just, a lot of this stuff is a conglomeration of, so many other amazing men and women of God in the body of Christ that we just kind of pulled together and really thought is really important. So next um, six to 12 years, you become a guide and in your child's life. And I think some, one of the things, that's, that's really the time in our, in our um, children's class in those years, we really have them memorize. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it because they really need to start learning how to guard their hearts is so important. So many things are going to be uh, brought in front of them to be tempted them by. And so scripture memorization is so key for our kids in this season. So parents, don't shy back from teaching your kids to memorize scripture. Um, and the next, then you become a coach. That's fun. Um, and I just want to say two things in this season that's so important is listening to your kids and asking questions so good to be curious about what's going on in their lives. There is just such a whole world going on in there that you want to listen and ask questions about. Next season, obviously I'm blazing through this because I don't have time to go in, but next season you really become an advisor. You don't want to overparent in those seasons. You don't want to overcorrect because um, it's just a beautiful season. You still need to be parent 
it's not done. Um, and, uh, you know, in this season, it's you really begin just a sweet place of friendship with with your kids. And so, so much of what we do is train, correct, rebuke. Great job. Covered a lot. Sorry. Let me, uh, let's finish with this. It's impossible to be a perfect parent. But we have this secret weapon as the people of God, and that is this. It's prayer. It's going to God and petitioning his help on our kids' behalf. So that's the fourth practice, our last one we're going to share today, which is praying, and listen to this, praying for our children's hearts. I'm not saying just praying for our children, praying for our children's hearts. So David, who is the, the most wonderful king in the Old Testament, he has a son, and it's the golden era of Israel, and now they're going to go and do the most important endeavor of, of history, which is actually building a temple for God's presence. So he's giving the people, and he's giving his son Solomon this charge to go and build the temple. And this is in 1 Chronicles 28. And the, the fascinating thing, it's 28 and then 29, is in the middle of giving this charge, he does this. He breaks into prayer. And I want you to see the prayer he does. He says, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you and give my son, uh, son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your hand, to keep your commands, statutes and decrees and do everything. <clears throat> What's he doing? David is using the secret weapon of the kingdom, which is prayer. And what's he praying for? He's not just saying, Lord, keep my kid alive, although that's a great prayer. He's not saying, God, make my son successful or my, my, my daughter successful. He's praying, God, shape the desires of their hearts. Did you hear me? He's praying that God would shape the desires of their hearts. And so it's amazing. Solomon has the greatest test that any human will ever have. He has the living God show up and say, I'll give you whatever you want. Okay? How many of us would pass that test? And what does he say? He says, God, give me wisdom to shepherd your people. And then what does he do? He goes on to write the best book of wisdom ever written, the book of Proverbs, then he goes on to write the best book on desires and love ever written, the book of Song of Solomon. Why? Because his dad was interceding for his heart, to be a heart that desired after God and to be a, a heart of wisdom. Are you following me? So this week, Steph and I are having lunch with this couple that's our age, <clears throat> but their kids are, are already coming out of the house this year. They're their kids are graduating, and they're telling us about their kids. They're both following after Jesus with all their heart. They're both jumping into a, one's already been in one. The next one's going into this uh, ministry discipleship school. One of them's engaged. We said, well, what do you think about your, your, your soon-to-be daughter-in-law? They're like, we couldn't ask her more. She loves Jesus. She's wonderful. And then they said this comment, just kind of half, uh, like offhand comment. They said, you know, you pray for your kids like crazy, but then it's just amazing when you see those things come to fruition. 
And boom, I was like, nope. That actually was the secret behind the story. They said, we pray for our kids like crazy. Let me just challenge you. The greatest thing you can do is pray for your kids' hearts that they would long after Jesus. So that, that's each one of our children. We have a, a verse that we prayed for them every day of their life, and I'd speak it over them, and I love it. Three of them have already come back to me and said, hey, dads, people are asking me for a life verse. What's that verse again? And now they have it written. One has it, uh, given it to them on a, on a ring, and what's the point? Those verses are all about giving them a heart to yearn after God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. That's Hallie's verse, Psalm 84. Husband's verse, one thing I ask of the Lord, this one I seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You see, my verses are about their hearts. We're not going for perfection, folks. We're going for hearts after Jesus. Amen? Stand up with me.